Hello, hello. Welcome to this belated episode of Gamer Friends. You might notice that we are missing a gamer friend today. Cedric, Audio Nerd 64, is very important. He's a very important person. And he actually is working on the official Black Panther podcast. If you follow us on Twitter, you will have seen that. But in case you didn't know, that's what's up. So he actually is not going to be here today. Instead, we are joined by network friend of the show, MC Paper Sacks. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. And friend of the show, resident Marvel and comic connoisseur, Jay, is here as well. What up, what up? So... We are belated because, unfortunately, Cedric has COVID. It's very sad. And where I'm recording right now is where he is quarantining. (laughs) So it's taken a little bit of coordination for us to make this space safe for me to breathe. But we have done it and we are here. So we are bringing you belated Wakanda... Nigga Cat 2. Sorry, Mike. Uh, and, no need to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be uh, discussing it at length. It's also the end of phase four. So I'm hoping to ask our intrepid friends what they thought of the overall phase, where the MCU is going, where it has been. And we will follow this up with another spoiler cast because next week, uh, or at least next week now, the holiday special comes out. So we'll be back in your ears as a full Gamer Friends unit in the future. But anyway, without further ado, let's dive right in. My understanding is that Jay wanted to get us going with a hot take, so I will pass the mic. Oh, well, my, I, I, well, you put me on the spot, so I feel like I have to admit that my hot take is kind of a red herring. Oh, because okay. I think my hot take is that this might be the first Marvel movie in a while that I do not think I have a hot take about. Wow. That is a little I, bit of a red herring. I specifically showed up today for that crazy-ass Yeah, Jay you thought take, I'd have some super I'm not spiciness. <laughs> Can I just... I, I feel like before I, before I even say anything about my thoughts about the movie, I should just say that I had a very strange initial viewing experience to watching the movie. <laughs> okay. So number one, I went to a black theater, right? And if you are a movie, if you are a movie goer, you know that movie theaters are, I would say, kind of defined by like the primary audience that goes to them, right? You know you're at a black movie theater because at a black theater they check your bag before you go in. <laughs> That's real. They don't want they're they're saying it's just for contraband candy, but they know they're looking for guns, pepper spray, all types of jibber jabber, right? And that's just what it is. I also went in the middle of the day, mind you, because I'm like, I'm gonna go in the middle of the day, there's not gonna be any kids, not gonna be any teenagers, not gonna be any. I'm trying to start any jibber jabber. So I'm there, I'm sitting down, me and Liz, I got my snacks, I got my drinks. Like, there's like, honestly, there's maybe only like 20 other people in the theater. So it's not even packed. So a majority of the seats in the theater are, are empty, mind you. And this is important for the story. I'm sitting there and we're in the row, we're in the middle row, because that's the best row to see a movie in. Me personally, that's the row I want to be in. And this dude comes up to me, his brother comes up to me, you know, he's just like, yo, you're in my seat. And I'm just like, well, man, I well, and you know, you know, you're supposed to you're supposed to buy your seats on the Regal website or whatever. 
And like I sat down and it's just like, you know, the couple next to me and my shorty had taken our seats. So I'm like, okay, well, this theater is mostly empty. I'm not going to start any conflict with nobody. I'm just going to sit down and seats next to us. It's not a problem for me. So this dude is getting all mad. He's like, we're in his seats. He's like, yo, I got someone else coming. I need this seat, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, okay, man, well, look, I'm only in your seat because they're in my seat. So you need to go talk to them and potentially everyone else sitting down here and have them like shift the seat down so you can be happy. Because I'm like, otherwise, like, I'm not really going to move. <laughs> I let him know this is the case. <laughs> and so this brother starts like getting real hype with me and the other dude. And the other dude's just like, yo, man, there's so many empty seats here. Can you just like chillax? Can we all just be adults and enjoy Black Panther and just have a peaceful day? And this dude is like, no. <laughs> and so and I respect and I respect that his brother was like, just like, he's like, he's like, all right, fine. I see that you're just this kind of guy. So him and the girl, they get up, they go to some other seats. They after they end up talking to the manager or whatever. And I'm like, no, this is anything to do with me. I'll happily slide over a seat. So this man, so already I, I went into I went into the film, which is like a brother trying to start some jibber jabber. Mm. And then we all know that like, this is a spoiler cast. So I think we, we could talk about the spoilers that the movie that the movie yes, does in fact open with some pretty heavy, tragic ass shit. Like it, it opens mm. with just like T'Challa, he's 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 dying, sure he's trying to save him. And I'm sitting there and then it goes into this funeral, and I'm sitting there like munching popcorn. And the whole theater is like dead quiet. And someone's like, shh. And I'm just like, I'm not supposed to eat snacks just because like T'Challa died. Like, I'm sorry, I don't accept that. Like, I don't accept that. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, y'all need to calm down. Like, I'm like, yeah, just no. Like, literally, people were like, I'm, I'm, yes. And I'm just like, yo, I'm like, this isn't a real funeral. You know that, right? Like, this is like, this is, this is for the Negro feline. He's not a real man. Like, I'm allowed to eat snacks right now. Chillax. And otherwise, I'd have any other problems the rest of the movie. But I was just like, I'm like, y'all are just, y'all are too hype right now. Y'all are too emotional. Like, I get it. Like, now, <sighs> now I got to talk about my theater experience. Okay. So I too went during the day because I wasn't trying to have no fucking kids in there. Uh, it was like noon on a Friday and I pulled my six-year-old early out of school to go see it with me and my wife. When we got in there, of course, there were tons of kids and babies. <laughs> and I sat him down and next to us is an older black couple like to the right of him he sat next to them I sat next to him my wife's on the left side I lean over to my son and I say okay now you understand we're in a theater and we're watching the movie with other people he goes yes I said so what are you going to do he goes I'm going to sit here quietly do you have any questions and he was like I'll ask him after the movie good he sits down quietly eats his popcorn the older black couple next to us proceeds to talk during the entire fucking movie <sighs> Now, they were talking lower than, you know, like talkers usually talk, but it was loud enough to hear. Even my wife could hear them. And usually when this happens, 99% of the time, I lean over like, hey, I can hear every word you're saying. Keep it down. I did not do that this time because this is Black Panther and they are black (laughs) and I am white and it felt wrong to do that. So I said, you know what? This ain't about me. I think your instinct was correct. I would, I would, I, I right, would right. Been on I was their like, side. this ain't about me. I was me. behind them. I would have been on their side. I was like, yo, shut the hell up, Karen. Don't talk to them. We're trying to do a black panther. Exactly, exactly. But now, nah, fuck you. If we in a regular ass movie and you talking, yeah, I've told people to shut the fuck up several times. If, if they didn't check your bag beforehand, <laughs> all bets are off. We in AMC. Um, so yeah, but I. 
still, you know, I had a really good time with the movie and everything. But yeah, just that yeah. that was that was the atmosphere going on in uh, in. Well, my as experience. long as we're also talking, Jordan, before you go, as long as we're also talking about theaters in general, I will say one thing is that I actually went to like a really crummy theater to see this movie, which I kind of regret. Like in terms of just like the mm-hmm. screen quality just being bad, because um, mm. this is not really good theaters in this part of Philly. I don't want to like go into the city. I don't want to go to New Jersey. I don't want to go out the suburbs to like go to the movies. You know what I mean? I want to go to the movie theater that's near me, even though it sucks. I just tolerate it. So like that's that's the one thing I will say is that like I do feel like I didn't get the full like experience of the movie. Because there was some shit where I'm just like, I could tell that like Coogler like really put his foot in the filming this, but like it just looks terrible on the screen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a trifecta of bad experiences. I, I shouldn't say terrible yeah. experience. Uh, as both of you know, we are COVID cautious. <laughs> so we actually went to a drive-in theater. Little did I know that Cedric was positive at the time. And so that was the least safe thing that I could have done for myself <laughs> personally. Uh, but we went to a drive-in theater we didn't go to the one we normally go to. The one we normally go to was already closed for the season. This one, for whatever reason, has sound that you can hear. The other one, any explosion, any loud noise or whatever, your speaker is like crackling and popping and stuff like that. So at first, we were so excited. We were like, this is going to be the greatest driving experience we've ever had because we can hear what's going on. And then it started to rain. And then someone pulled up right next to us and kept their headlights on for half of the movie. Damn. It was infuriating. And if it wasn't raining, I would have gotten out and I would have said something like, hey, your headlights are not just illuminating the screen. They're illuminating every droplet of water on the way to the screen. <laughs> and I can't see anything. That sucks. <laughs> if it was dark on screen, I couldn't see anything. So I will be watching the movie for the first time when it comes out on Disney+. Plus. But I definitely heard everything. And I know what happened. And there were some very large muscles. I know that we are now, I am a minority on my own podcast again in terms of thirsting for Winston Duke and thirsting for Tanakh. But I hope that the two of you can appreciate that we were, we were, we were gifted some visuals. No, my, my, my wife yeah. let me know how she felt about both those actors. She did. <laughs> she did. She was looking, the mo- even the motherfucker who was playing Atuma, she was like, mm, he's fine. I'm like, oh, for real? Atuma? Atuma's fine? Like, we, just, we just throwing it at, at D-list Marvel characters now? Okay, that's fine. That's cool. That's cool. That's what we're doing. That's cool. They actually re- reduced uh, Namor's bulge, I heard. His bulge actually was bigger at one point. I saw. I didn't I didn't hear that. I saw that. Yeah, I was like, I, I already saw. Like, how much bigger was his bulge? Because it was already there. It but, was. All right. It was larger. It was. <laughs> it was larger. Um, so, where to where to even begin? Do we want to take um, it from the top? Do we want to just take it from the top? How we felt? What we thought? Like, mm. yeah, yeah. We can we can walk through what happened, and then there are a few cultural conversations that are going around right now that I think are very funny. <laughs> that Do you want to talk about recast? Do you want to talk about the recast on. the Chalam movement? You want to talk about? It? 
We're absolutely going <laughs> to hey, talk about recasting. I have so many, thought, absolutely. I have so many thoughts about that. I really, truly do. I really, truly do. I saw an interview <laughs> with the guy that started the hashtag. Why would, oh, someone, like, why would you interview that guy? Like, what, what, like, I don't understand. Like, why do you need to interview him? Like... <laughs> Well, the person that interviewed him thought it was a clown take. And then after he he uh, understood what he was trying to do, he, like, gave him a little bit of leeway. But obviously it was hijacked right. yeah. by some Manosphere motherfuckers. But, I mean, that's here nor, neither here nor there. So I guess we'll get into it. But So starting from the top, as Jay said, it, it starts out really heavy. We are witnessing, essentially, the, the passing of T'Challa. I definitely was very emotional during that whole sequence, during the the silent Marvel intro that was all images of Chadwick. Uh, th- that man was very loved, and that was something that I kept thinking to myself the entire movie, and especially at the end. I was like, they loved this man, and he really had quite an impact on people, and I, I think that that's a beautiful thing that he was able to be memorialized and and tributed in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was written on their faces. Like you could tell their performances were really enhanced because the love that they felt and the the pain of the loss that uh the cast felt for T'Challa and for Chadwick like was it was just real, you mm-hmm. know. And I mean also the loss that we all feel, you know, like the, the emotions were high. I never thought a Marvel logo could make me cry, but I was tearing up. I was like, <sighs> yeah, it was you know? tough. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was one of those things where it was like, you know, I think that comic book movies don't do death well because comic books don't tend to handle death well. Right. Because in comics, death is always a like, all right, they're dead until they're back. They're not dead anymore. And then in movies, it's just sort of like, I think we're almost overburdened with death in comic book movies. Like, for example, the like heroes killing villains isn't really like, like they kind of just do it all the time. Like it's not, there's not sort of like a, like a moral rule against it. Or usually like the villain dies in some other way, right? Like usually the third act of the movie ends with the villain dying, whether they're killed by the hero or not. I won't kill you, but I don't have right, to exactly. save you. Or something you. like that, yeah. or like their suit blows up, <laughs> yeah. or like the MacGuffin explodes and they die in the explosion, you know what I mean? So like, that's just, and then like the heroes don't tend to die because they're the heroes. It's never not going to feel strange that like, you know, this character dies because the actor who played him died. And then, I I don't know, I really still, cause I like I said, I was sitting there like eating my popcorn, really just trying to process like what I was seeing and like I don't know if if it felt so strange to me, like I, like it was definitely like so emotionally visceral and gripping, and it didn't feel like like immediately I'm just like yo it's a holiday weekend like damn like can can we get some le- levity in this like I felt like the movie didn't really have like I feel like it, this lets you know this was not a movie that was gonna be like lighthearted like you knew going in this is not gonna be a lighthearted yeah. film and I and I think they I admired that they really that they really carried through on that they're like we are just gonna be kind of heavy for this whole movie. It was a tremendous amount of respect, I think, to Chadwick Boseman was what this movie was. I was deathly afraid that we were going to see a hologram or a fucking, mm. like, a deep fake or some bullshit. They, you know, they didn't show him at all. And when they did, it was, like, no cheesy music. It was just, like, old images from the previous movie mm-hmm. that just spoke for themselves. I 
was kind of not wanting to go see this. Like I was joking with my friends the other day, Derek and, and his girl was asking, like, hey, when you going when y'all gonna see Black Panther? And I looked at my wife, like, Black, are we gonna go see that? And she she was like, <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, we are. But for real, I was a little bit scared to see it because I was like, don't fuck this up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't wanna go through the grieving process again. And and what they did was just such an, a celebration to him and the character. And and I don't know him, obviously, but from what I've seen in interviews and how seriously he took the role, I feel like that he would have felt really good and felt really respected and honored by what they did in this film for him and about him. I think why the intro shocked me so much is because I think I almost expected some sort of like CGI Black Panther running into an explosion. They're like, oh no, it's a child yeah, died. Some bullshit. Like, you know, give like, like a heroic send off. I think they, the fact that they sort of chose to be like, no, T'Challa got sick and he died because that's a thing that can happen. Which also I think is a thing that, like having a hero die of an illness is something that I think the only comic that's really ever pulled that off, like story-wise, was like the death of Captain Marvel, right? And I think that they've Mm. undercut that a lot over the years by like bringing that character back from the dead multiple times. And I think with this, it's sort of, we're in a position where it's like, this will always be heavy. I think this will always sort of Way on viewers. I think this is something that, like, people 20 years from now who watch this movie for the first time with no real prior connection to the actors or whoever, like, I think they're going to be able to tell that this is, like, heavy and visceral because this character is not coming back. Like you said, there's not going to be a deep fake version. Something like that isn't going to happen. Like, it's being treated seriously. There's a lot of, there's a part of me where it's just like, I don't, I don't know. It's so strange. It's strange. It's strange to see that sort of carried through. Like they, like they really took it seriously. They really committed, and you can like see it in all the performers' faces. That like they're like actually they're actively grieving their friend. I don't know. It's, it's weird yeah. to know that like people gave like such good performances after something so horrible happened. Did you both see Thor: Love and Thunder? I did. Yes. How did you feel about them? Essentially doing the same thing with Jane, but obviously in a completely different context. That movie left no no impact on me at all. I, I wish I I, I only wish I hadn't watched it just to be like I wish I hadn't watched it. Like it just it's just like I watched it. And I'm just like, what is happening right now? It's just it's like the polar opposite. It's like if Wakanda Forever was respect, right? That was disrespect. It felt like to me. It felt like the director was like, fuck it. They're making me make this movie. Fuck them. Let's just make a movie. Who gives a shit? Who showed up? The special effects team isn't finished. Fuck it. Roll it. Record it. The, the, <laughs> just use a TikTok filter. We'll have the kid's face come in on a TikTok filter. and it. it <laughs> don't get me started on Love and Thunder. Honestly, you, I, honestly I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Because like I said, like I forgot that that was a movie that came out. And then I watched it. And that like, yes, the character of Jane Foster does die. And like, I truly didn't feel like it didn't feel like a resolution to Jane Foster's arc. It didn't feel like, oh, like, oh no, we're never going to see Jane Thor. Like, I didn't, it had no impact on me whatsoever. And not like I disliked the character of Jane Foster, but it was just sort of like, this didn't do anything for me. No, all the parts were there. It just wasn't handled with care. So to bring us into the action, we see Namor's people taking over a uh, facility that's looking for vibranium. This is after Queen Ramonda gives an interesting, like, American version of an anti-American speech at some governing body about 
how awful they'll be if they get their hands on vibranium, which was both true and also kind of like, that's as far as they let him go. Well, <laughs> with the critique. That was something that was like kind of confusing to me, only because we don't know the sort of details of how T'Challa kind of unveiled Wakanda to the world, right? And it just seemed, I don't know, it seemed kind of silly to me to like let people know about all the cool stuff Wakanda has. Because once you tell everyone about the cool stuff you have that they can't have, of course they're going to want to take it. That was kind of like also the point that everyone kept trying to make in the first movie, including Killmonger, including many yeah. characters. Yeah. And I think the crazy thing to me was that like, like when they marched in those mercenaries, they're like, oh yeah, we didn't hurt your soldiers. I'm just like, maybe you should have though. Maybe you should maybe you should have. Maybe you should teach people a lesson because they keep trying to take your stuff. And you know why they're trying to take it. I mean, Ramondo was, I mean, Angela Bassett was going off. She was putting that work in. She acted her ass off. I'm glad that Mike brought up the piece about this movie really being a tribute to T'Challa because in as much as that it is a tribute to T'Challa, I also think it was a critique of his perspective and of the first movie in many ways. And I think that it was responding in part to some of the accusations about, you know, having the CIA be involved in Wakanda and demonizing Killmonger for what his goals ultimately were and all that kind of stuff, all that discourse. I think that this was very much responding to that in some way. I agree. I, I agree with that a lot because I don't know if I mentioned this. To, I think I might mention this to you on Discord, Jordan, but like I felt like this movie was very much in dialogue with the critiques of the first movie. Like, and not just the yeah. and like and fandom in general, right? Because I think as we'll get to later, I think like it does kind of have to speak to the recast T'Challa movement later on in the film. And I think that, like, they yeah. really understood what people were saying. The movie did show that, like, Wakanda kind of is in a strange geopolitical bind. Right. Like, if you're in a position where you have something everyone wants and you won't give it to them and you won't sell it to them, the only position that you leave them in is to take it. And then it's, like, how you choose to respond to that is, like, Wakanda's kind of taking the, like, the most fictional course possible, which is like to respond with nonviolence, which how long can that work? Right. Yeah. You know, like how long until they like, what if we just do a ground invasion in the Wakanda? What if we kidnap some of these Wakandan scientists and get them to tell us stuff? I do like their take on the threat of colonialism and the history of colonialism in this movie versus the first. The first one had themes, obviously, but then it was undercut. Like, Disney's coming in, like, you can't make Killmonger that sympathetic. Have him shoot some black women or something. Okay, now now we can hate him. Let's add that after credit speech referencing Lumumba and the, and the Congo, but make it about, like, sharing everything with the, the colonizers and, and opening things up. Let's open up, like, uh, the information-sharing centers that they have. Let's let's open those up in poor areas, and, and that'll change things. That'll cover it. We did what we needed to do. It felt very Disney. Like, they just stepped in and went, let's make this uh, peace and love. And in this one, it's like, no, we're going to show that, like, both France and the U.S. are talking out of the side of their neck. Like, you know, you got all this stuff, and you ain't trying to work with us, and all we want to do is just, you know, we, we want to work with you. You said you was going to work with us, but then they're trying to steal their shit. They're like, we're not, we're not having it, Right. You come in us again, and it's going to get violent. So like you said, it, they were more nonviolent, I think, than realistically they probably would have been. But I still like the message 
that they're sending about who the real threat is. And also the way that they handled the CIA in this movie, which we'll probably get to in a second, I thought was not perfect, but better than the first movie. Yeah, let's get into it because Val shows up, which was the biggest shock of the movie for me in terms of the broader MCU. In many ways, I think that this is potentially setting up some things for Thunderbolts. Do you all remember that episode of Justice League Unlimited when the uh, Suicide Squad is sent to infiltrate the Watchtower? Yes. Great episode. That is one of my favorite episodes. We recently rewatched, actually, we were rewatching Justice League Unlimited. And I couldn't help but think to myself, like, is that the plot of Thunderbolts (laughs) for them to infiltrate Wakanda and retrieve Homeboy, who, speeding ahead at the end of the movie, is clearly broken out of prison by the Wakandans. You know, maybe Val's trying to get him back, and that's the plot. That seems like where it's going. That's kind of what I was thinking as well. I think that's, like, an entirely possible plot. And it's also, like, but also just even seeing who they announced with Thunderbolts, I'm like, y'all think they can get into Wakanda? (laughs) Because <laughs> like, I don't. Right. Like, I mean, like, I guess maybe if Bucky, no, if Bucky, I, if Bucky thing, helps man. them, probably. But, like, I still can't see them being able to make it out. Like, sure, we just building Iron Man suits for funsies on the weekend. Like, I don't really think that, like, I don't, <laughs> right. think, the CIA, I don't right. think the CIA has really thought this one through. Like, I got to say, so we're, now we're just skipping, but I, I wish that that wasn't the case because it kind of took something away from Riri for me personally. I wanted to see a moment of Riri, like, from the ground up building a suit. And they did not give us that. I think that was one of my disappointments. That that seemed like a Disney thing, too. It, it seems like she wasn't in the original plan, and Disney was like, hey, can we introduce this Black character in your Black movie, Ryan? And he's like, sure. Uh, but I feel like she either should have been in the movie less or more. Like, either a Spider-Man amount in Civil War... Or we got more development with her, like you said. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, the amount that she was in, you could completely remove her from the plot and nothing would have changed. And I hate that they did her like that. So I was happy to see her. As soon as, you know, they talked about going to get the scientist and where she was at, I was like, Riri. I knew, you know. like, like <laughs> um, And she was fun. Like, one of the funniest lines in the movie came from her. Uh, I laughed my ass off and she was talking about Ash on Akoya's head. But... <laughs> all that aside, she didn't really need to be in the movie, and it did kind of take away from like her origin, which is probably coming up. In yeah, I'm not gonna lie, so. I wasn't really a fan of Iron Girl Junior. Like, I'm not really sure like why she needed to be in the movie, and and I, and I, and I can yeah. and I'll address this from a logistical standpoint too, because you know the the plot is this plot essentially hinges around the fact that Riri builds a a machine that is able to detect vibranium. Right, she builds this as a school project. Which the movie doesn't really get into, but it seems like her professor then gives or sells this device to the CIA. Yes. Which that's right. is number one, like super wild, right? That's just that's like a wild thing that like doesn't even really get addressed. Because how do you go back and sit in that man's class? Like, yo, you the feds. Like you see somebody hitting the CIA, number one. Exactly. Number two, Riri didn't notice that this happened. Right, like you built like a weird big machine on campus and you just didn't notice that it wasn't there anymore. Like that that kind of threw me off a little bit. And then so once the CIA and the government has this machine that she built, they start using it to find vibranium underwater, which is what causes the conflict between the government and the Atlanteans and Talokan. Right. I'm calling them yeah. Atlanteans because that's mm-hmm. what they're called in the comics, but yes, 
That's what they were. No, but yeah. Talo Khan, I was actually talking to my brother about this earlier, but no, giving them the whole Mesoamerican vibe is honestly like super cool because it, it actually gives them yeah. number one, it gives them like just a level of like substance that like, I don't think the Atlantean characters have ever had in Marvel Comics, right? Number one. Yes. Then number two, yes. it also like really differentiates them from like the Atlantis and Aquaman that exists in the DC universe. That also has never really had any flavor and substance either, right? Like, and they, they kind of missed the opportunity to like, oh, wait, we have Jason Momoa playing Aquaman. I wonder if we could like create an undersea world that kind of reflects his like cultural heritage. No, they didn't do that. It's all white people. They didn't, they're like, no, no, that's not important. Yeah. That's cool. That, that's fine. That's fine. That's whatever. That's what they wanted to do. And then so, you know, and then once the Atlanteans, the Talokan, are they Talokani? Talokana? How, how, I don't even know how you, how they refer to. The Talokan. Yeah, I just been calling them. Yeah, once the yeah. once the blue people um, start fighting with the government, that is when the government believes that like, oh, well, we're looking for vibranium, and someone attacked us. It must be the Wakandans. So a kind of war path is immediately set against the government in Wakanda because of Riri's device, and then she kind of becomes like the living MacGuffin. Who Namor decides like I'm gonna go after? She, no, no. Every Marvel movie has a MacGuffin, yeah. and she's like the MacGuffin in this movie. Yeah, right. And Namor's like I'm gonna go after her Living because MacGuffin. she is the scientist who created this device, and that has put my people at risk. She's the Mind Stone. Yes, she's the Mind Stone. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I love that DC bit Marvel with Aquaman, and then came out with Aquaman first in their whole movie universe thing. And, and Marvel was like, all right, you can have him. And then just wrote a way better story. And even like made Namor's name cooler. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. El Nino Sin Amor. <laughs> the child without love. I was like, that's awesome. No, I've been walking around the house going like, my enemies call me Namor. Because <laughs> like, it's cool. <laughs> 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 my wife thinks it's hilarious. She loves it. She loves it. He is not just the leader. He is not just the king. He is good, good God. <laughs> Fucking love it. <laughs> no, no, no. They really, they really did. They made a character who, like, I truly, in my heart, I have never thought Namor was cool. Namor's never been cool. There's never been a single comic book where you're just like, oh my God, Namor's so cool. That's never happened. Marvel's never published anything like that. And Ryan Coogler did the impossible. Like, he made Namor cool. He made Atuma cool. He made Namor Rita cool. A character who is incredibly lame on her own. He made all he made all them cool. And scary. And scary. Yes. Yeah. That that attack on the CIA boat in the beginning of the movie was like a fucking horror show. The way they popped out of the water <laughs> with just their eyes and they sang people so they would Yo, unalive themselves. He, the fa- oh, the, the, Get wait, the fuck the out. Fact that he gave the Telecon like these amazing siren powers, that was so fucking cool. I'm like, oh wow, Marvel, like <sighs> that's something that you could have used in a comic years ago, make these characters. More interesting than just riding sharks. Um, that was sweet. Mm-hmm. It was sweet. It gave me a lot of D- which they gave do. Me a lot of D and D inspiration. I'm like, I'm definitely gonna use some sea elves at some point and do some <laughs> do some telecon shit with them. I also just want to shout out that the actor that they chose to knock has been on top of it and has really been using the platform that this movie has given him to talk a lot about colorism, which is, you know, obviously the predominant form of discrimination 
about race in uh, Central and South America, talking about racism in general, really uplifting some of the themes of the movie about cross-racial solidarity and, you know, uniting against who the actual threat is. So to, to kind of move the plot along, Namor says that that Wakanda basically needs to deliver the living MacGuffin of Riri to him. They obviously choose not to, which creates conflict between the two of them. Uh, as so not, part not to cut of, you off, but, but his reasoning for Wakanda needing to do this is good. Because he's just like, y'all are the ones who reveal vibranium to the world. Now these people are looking for it. Now it's causing me problems. That was, that was, that was some real shit that he said to them. He's like, yeah. y'all cause this problem. I can see why he's like, pissed. Like, y'all cause this problem for me. <laughs> like, you have to fix it right now. His plan yeah. to kill her was a little boneheaded, though. Because, I mean, you can't <laughs> just jump up. Like, I guess it's it's kill her and then immediately wage war on the Earth. But if you just want to go pick off every genius that pops up, like daisies, that's... Well, I, well I was going to say, I was actually, I was talking to my brother about this. And I was going to say, my, my big kind of confusion about Namor's plan was why he thought that eliminating the scientists who created this device would be enough to, like, keep Telecon safe, right? Like, right. obviously, like, you know, like, how do you know they don't have a second device? How do you know there's not, like, a team of scientists who worked on this? Like, it, it just felt very short-sighted to be like, no, no, I just got to kill one person and all my problems get solved. Like, in terms of, like, yeah, moral villainy, I'm like, that's incredibly short-sighted. I 100% agree. I think they needed to something to make him a little bit unreasonable because if he just went, the existence of this scientist means that I need to wage war on Earth now because I was already like ready for it, right? That would make sense. But why are you going out of, the way to, out of your way to kill her when you're already going to wage war on the surface world? And you want Wakanda to be your allies, but you're, you're fucking with people who are their allies? Like, why would you do that? You know, why would you bring that kind yeah. of heat on yourself? So that didn't make sense to me. I think that there's always some foolishness that they have to impart into some of these villains. Otherwise, they make too much sense yes. for people. And they can't make the simplistic moral <laughs> application at the end. Uh, which I think that... I, we'll get to it, but I think that they kind of avoid in this movie. Anyway, to continue, there ends up being conflict between the Wakandans and the... T -t the Talakanil. And uh, Riri and Princess end up in Talakan. Well, before we get there, can I also just say that, like, I enjoyed that whole sequence of, like, them going to MIT, recruiting Riri. I thought the scene where they kind of escape from the, the police who are coming after them, you know, there's, like, the one line of the guy who goes, like, oh, shit, she's got an Iron Man suit. Like, I'm like, damn, that's like, I'm like, that's, like, the second joke this movie has had. I'm like, we, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah, right. I'm like, yo, it's like 40 minutes in and this is like only our second joke. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, and I actually really liked her like homemade boot, like Iron Man suit. Like, I thought it was really cool. And I, and I appreciate it. I yeah. thought it was cooler than the CGI action figure she wears later in the movie. I'm like, I don't care about this. Like the Power Rangers the Power suit. Yeah. suit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rest in peace to JDF, by the way. Out there. That's the yeah, mask. yeah. Issue Green Ranger. Agreed that that was a dope sequence. And the fight scene was also great. I love Okoye. She is one of my favorite MCU characters. And uh, seeing her get down and then also get knocked down was very interesting. I was actually fearful for a little bit because, you know, there are some people that you know are expendable and are beloved and so they're expendable like 
part of what makes them expendable is that people enjoy them. And I was just wrong about which one it was. So (laughs) we end up underwater. Okoye is defeated. And then we kind of learn a little bit more about Talakan and what's going on and, and what Namor did to get there and become the MCU's second mutant, third mutant. I mean, I mean, I guess chronologically, probably the first. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah, mm. who knows? Who knows? But yeah, yeah, he's a he's a mutant. It's cool that even he's like, I'm a mutant. He used the word specifically. Yeah, yeah, they get to use the <laughs> yeah. word. Yeah, that's also when I learned that his little wings are are real. They're physical. Yes. Yeah, For some like, reason, I thought that they were like Hermes things. Yeah. No, I no, I really thought that like in translating this character into the films. That they were gonna give him like, oh, he's got some like underwater tech and it's like little flipper shoes, wings. They're like, no, 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 he's got wings growing right. out of his ankle. That's what he has. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, they made it look cool. They made it look cool. Yeah, like it looked when he was flying, it looked like he was swimming in the air rather than actually flying. They gave him a very particular form of movement, and the wings didn't really help him fly so much as helped him balance. It felt like. And yeah, it looks it looks neat. I I was surprised. I was like, why is that cool? It shouldn't be cool. No, it's <laughs> it just something that's compute. literally never been cool in any comic book ever. Like Ryan Coogler was like, I know how to make this cool, and it did look cool. You did I thought it. like they also gave Namor some kind of like. I felt like his fighting style was very reminiscent of like Vegeta. Like that's like what I kept seeing when he was like fighting because he did a lot of like knees, elbows, mm. close in. I'm just like, yo, I'm like, there's some anime inspiration happening here. I'm like, I really respect like what's going on. I will say there's a decent amount of fight scenes in the movie that I felt like were shot a little too close. And maybe some people didn't have enough time to like rehearse fight scenes a certain way. Because there were some that were far out and you got to see all the action. But there were a lot, especially early on in the film, that were up close. And I do wish that the action scenes had panned out. Because there was so much emotional stake in this film and everybody was really bringing it, it still felt tense and it was fun to watch. But... As someone who just really enjoys like fight choreography, like I'm a martial arts guy, I, I hate it when they do the quick cuts and, and and it's really close and you can't really see the action that well. And they did a, a little bit too much of that in this film. So that's one knock against it, I guess. But uh, can I just say before we get into Telecon that with T'Challa gone, they didn't just focus on one Wakandan, but they really had multiple characters stepped up and everybody nailed it. Like, can we say that Angela Bassett deserves an Oscar? Can we say that, like, Mbaku, like, everybody stepped up. Everybody. I I really enjoyed all of the performances in this film. I don't think there was a single performance I felt like that was weak. Even if, like, like we talked about Riri earlier, that maybe she wasn't necessarily, like, given enough to do or too much. You know what I mean? I think you're right that this was, I think, some of the strongest all-around performances from just, like, everyone in a Marvel movie that I think we've seen. Just, just incredibly strong yeah. casting. Like everyone did a really good job. I think it was a, uh, yeah. And they, people kept delivering. You know, I will say that, like, like I like some of Mbaku's. Um, you know, he had a couple of like humorous cut-ins that I could tell. I felt like they added them in reshoots. They're like, yo, we need a couple jokes. Just like have Winston say some lines, which I appreciated. Like, mm. I, I like that he was able to bring levity and still kind of become in, like a respected statesman kind of character. I think it's sometimes hard to like... I love that they made him king. Yeah. yeah. I think it's hard to get that balance. Oh, we're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. Jordan, Jordan's gonna get mad. Sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Ah, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> he, he entered uncle mode for sure. Yes, I was gonna say during, that. During yeah. this film. Uh, and I appreciated that a lot. So, 
In Talakan, we're learning all this stuff. Namor's backstory is A+. Basically just a, a Central American child in watching colonization happen. I thought the origin story for his birth was really interesting. His mom basically got forced into eating this plant. That plant is very similar in some way to the plant that uh, the Black Panthers eat and obviously is responsible for giving Namor all of his mutant stuff, but gave it to his mom. Uh, so it must have happened to him, you know, in the womb. Uh, and then he comes back to bury his mom. He sees colonizers enslaving folks and mistreating them. And then all of a sudden, people start setting shit on fire and killing each other. This was one of those scenes that, like, made me really feel like this movie was kind of in conversation with, with the fan culture, right? Because I think there were a lot of very funny memes after the first movie about just horrible things happening around the world that the Wakandans never did anything about. And I think, like, this movie showed us that, like, Namor, like, only got a glimpse of the horror of, like, Spanish colonialism. He's just like, mm I don't like any of that. And, and I also, you know, the film doesn't say this, but, like, I something I read into the film was, we only see initially that there's only, like, maybe a dozen, two dozen Talokan and then their population obviously is much, much, much larger when we see them later. Like, I got the sense that, like, Namor rescued some people who were being mistreated by, who were being, you know, enslaved by the Spanish colonialists, and also, like, mm-hmm. gave them the weird vibranium algae that let them breathe underwater. I feel like he would have had to, because how could they make a civilization that big with just a handful of yeah, people? Yeah, it just, it just, felt, it just felt like he did like some active recruiting. Royal kingdom. Yeah, it yeah. felt like he did some active <laughs> recruiting bullshit. before he like retreated mm-hmm. from the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I respect. I get the sense of that, too, because otherwise, how do you earn a reputation as a god amongst your people if all you're doing is chilling underwater, just building a society that's that's nice, but I feel like you'd end up in a more Buddha-esque type situation where you're like this revered figure who's in charge, but not necessarily a god. Yeah. His behavior definitely had an impact on like mythology and people. Like he definitely was, you know, involved in in doing yes. some things, which I which I liked. I thought I thought it was cool. But then I also thought it was cool that like the character clearly even though, like, in the movie, I will say, like, he did seem, like, a little hot-headed. He seemed, like, a kind of, like, hot-headed and a bit irrational at points. But I thought that, like, mm. the fact that, like, for so long he had mostly just let people chill, to me, showed that he did have, like, a level of restraint where he was just like, yeah, you know what? I don't need to go to war with the service world. I got the impression he was biding his time, you know? Like, he knew that he'd be hard to find and that the longer he waited, the more they could, you know game like i mean he said at one point i have a soldier for every blade of grass that you have here in wakanda like he has been building up his people for a long long time and i think he always planned to come and and wreck shop it's just you know waiting for that moment you know so yeah after the kind of cool action sequence when shuri and riri are taken under sea by namor like like you said we do get namor's backstory and we, we get to see some really cool, like, undersea scenes in Talokan. The music was kind of cool in that scene. I was kind of vibing with it. I'm like, oh, this is tight. Like, it was cool. Like, they had a whole undersea society. Wish we could have, you know, seen a little bit more of that. The way I read it was, I felt like in revealing his backstory and kind of his motivations to Shuri, I almost felt like he was making a sort of, like, romantic overture to her. 
but not in the sense that like I am actively interested in you. It felt more of a like a like a Game of Thronesy kind of like listen. I told you what I'm I've got yeah. going on. I already know your whole deal because and I have a TV or something like that. I don't know how he knows her whole deal, but he does. Um, he's like, look, like, what if we kind of link up our peoples? You know what I mean? He gave her some jewelry. He's like, look, you just take this. You go home. You think about it. Um, you know, you just let me kill your friend. And, you know, we could kill all the white people. That was kind of his proposition to her. And, you know, sure, he was like, mm. like, I think she was more hung up on not handing over Riri to be murdered than on, like, his proposition about taking over the world. But I think she, like, I think she yes. was like, she was kind of at a point where, like, look, he kind of has a point. But she wasn't trying to say that. <laughs> yes. And, and while she's kind of mulling all that over, we get a very fantastic sequence in Wakanda of Okoye getting her ass torn into by Queen Ramonda, basically in front of everybody. She just gets she gets her shits called out. She gets fired. <laughs> it's kind of basically yeah. The queen just tears her a new one for like letting Shuri and Riri get kidnapped. She really goes off on her. It was I was sitting there. I'm like, damn, I'm embarrassed for you. I'm embarrassed for you, Okoye. Have I That's not crazy. sacrificed everything? Yeah. That was spit it right back in her face. Okoye was like, I gave up everything. She goes, I haven't. And I was like, Whoop. oh, no, shit. that was a scene where I'm like, mm, I wish I could have paused and rewind it. I'm like, mm, Angela Bassett was really going yes. off. Like her speech right now is powerful. Great. But it was like, I will just say though, the, the thing about that scene and Jordan, I, I want to know your take on this because the thing about that scene that kind of like had me was I'm just like, maybe a little upset that Ramonda had so much smoke for Okoye. I feel like she had more smoke for Okoye than she did for the UN. Because she threw back mm. in Okoye's face that she sided with Killmonger. And I'm like, damn, you've been holding that in your heart. She, she hadn't let that go. She didn't let that go. She was still yeah. mad about it. I'm like, damn, at this point, it's been like seven years? I don't know. Let it go. I, I don't have anything, I think, insightful to say about that. I think that that is another example of when what would really happen and what Disney wants to happen are in two different places. Like, I would really love to see Ryan Coogler be able to remake this without any oversight. Like, mm-hmm. what what would be different and where would there be differences? And I think that... I, I just have to believe that some of the political messaging would probably shift a little bit. I also feel very much like this demotion doesn't make that much like it does make sense but it also doesn't make sense and i think it was more of a way to get her into a cgi helmet later into the movie than it than which is which is kind of well i mean i think i do think it was an interesting character moment for amanda i think it showed that like this is someone who's been holding a lot of things in and Mm. like when the minute she brought up the fact that okoye decided with killmonger i'm like oh she's hurting She's hurt right now. Yeah. I think something this movie kind of gets into, that the first Black Panther also got into, right, was that the demands of monarchy kind of take you far away from being a good and reasonable human being. That the title of monarch puts you in a position that's just kind of untenable. And I think that was um, Ramonda's moment where she was just like, I have to sort of chastise this person who has really stood by me and like done nothing but like serve me faithfully. Besides, like, the, like, one week where she was, like, with Killmonger. Well, you know, other, other than that one week, she was great. <laughs> but, like, I got to tear into her because, like, she fucked up and let the princess get kidnapped. 
Because yeah. remember, the, like, remember, Akwaya is the one who also wanted Shuri to, to go with her on the mission. Like, Shuri didn't even... Yeah, yeah like, it wasn't it. necessary for her to go. I'm like, yeah, you, y'all got mad spies. Like, you didn't have to do this at all. You know, this also cuts into going, getting back into the plot a little bit. It cuts into some... We got some CIA stuff. I guess she calls Everett Ross, which truly, I'm like, I don't know why any of these white American government people need to be in this movie. I would have preferred you cut all their scenes. Mm-hmm. But... And that's not and that's not even me hating. I don't I like Julia Louis Dreyfus. I'm kind of mid on the character of Val. I don't I don't hate her, I don't like her. I just didn't need any of those characters in this movie, but like we do sort of get like an interlude with them during this action. Do you think that Val is Lady Hydra? Yeah, she I mean she's a leader of the CIA, but obviously she's a triple agent. She's probably working with Hydra, but then also working with Leviathan, you know, like that. I just is is are they really gonna bring Hydra back? Like, really? Maybe they'll just go straight to Leviathan. Who knows? I don't know if they're going to do like a Hydra evil organ. I don't know. I kind of, I've seen a lot of people kind of suggesting that they think they're going to try to do sort of like a Dark Reign kind of story, but like with Val and Thunderbolt Ross, now that Harrison Ford is going to be playing him. I I really don't know where where they're going with the character. I think they do kind of need, I think they feel like they need an amoral kind of like government person in the background, but I'm not really sure like, Mm -hmm how we're supposed to feel about this character yet. I think she's bad. Well, I mean, the fact that she hired John Walker to be U.S. agent, I think it's supposed to tell us that, like, her judgment is not to be trusted. I also forgot that she tried to have Yelena kill Hawkeye. Like, that was unnecessary. Like, why did she do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I I like the exchange that Ross and Valentina have when she arrests him. Because he was exchanging classified intelligence. Now, you could say he didn't really give Wakanda anything, but he did tell Wakanda that America is looking for a fucking excuse, right? So Valentina was listening to the whole conversation the whole time. And Ross tries to appeal to her sense of humanity. He's like, think about the position they're in. Could you imagine what would happen if America had gotten a hold of vibranium first. Like if they got the resources <laughs> and she practically creams in her fucking pants. She's like, I <laughs> wish for the day. Like I was like, I could see the evil seeping out of her. And I was like, yeah, that's America right there. Fucking 100%. <laughs> so uh, I, I think they're really setting her up to be a scoundrel. You know what I mean? Um, and, and like you guys said before, probably a conflict directly with the conda using the Thunderbolts. We'll see how that plays out. But, I think that's also a place where the sort of world building of these movies kind of falls apart because, like, we, I mean, we can obviously imagine, like, why an evil government person would want cool vibranium weapons. But it's also, like, we also don't really know anything about, like, the geopolitical position of the United States in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, to me, it seems like having more superhumans per capita than everywhere else in the world should put you in a position where maybe you don't need vibranium, but like, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know like what, like, does she want the U.S. to like start taking over the world? Like, is that her game plan? Like, how does, like, what does she want to happen? Maybe she's trying to collate power because the Sokovia Accords were disbanded. So there really is no official heroes working for the American government. And maybe she likes that and that's what she wants. And she's recruiting people because she literally wants superhumans working for the CIA, specifically on America's behalf. That could be like her I plan. don't remember if we brought that up in the spoiler cast for She-Hulk or not, but that is, I think, the biggest MCU 
moment of She-Hulk was the very casual ending of the Sokovia Accords. Yeah. And now that we're post-Black Panther, I think it makes a lot of sense that they did that because I, I think you're right, Mike. I think that the goal is like, okay, no more Sokovia Accords, so we do need a superhero team of some kind and Thunderbolts is going to be it Loyal because we can't, yeah. we can't get the good ones to agree <laughs> to, <laughs> to do our dirty deeds. So we're going to have to, you know, run our suicide squad instead. Yep. I mean, would the Sokovia Accords have stopped her from, from having a superhuman team? I don't think stopped her, but why would it be necessary yeah. if we can just tell Iron Man to go do it? Yeah, Ross was already controlling uh, War Machine and a few other heroes that had sided with them, right? Like, they pretty much had what they needed. And maybe the taste of that is what kick-started her idea to just go for it, you know, on her own accord. Or, like, just literally recruit. You are working for the U.S. government. No accords necessary. Fuck that. You're, you're with us, you know? Anyway, so... <laughs> We get Nakia back into the movie, Lupita looking thick. Mm, I'm like sorry. Just, I don't know what she did between Like a thick angel. And... Oh my God. Oh my goodness. <laughs> just loud. Anyway, uh, she gets brought in to do some CIA shit, essentially extract uh, Riri. And can, can we talk about how when she goes to Mexico to do that, she dresses like the character from Encanto? She kind of does. She does. People made some memes about it. Like as soon as she pops on the screen, I'm like, "Why is she dressed like Mirabelle from Encanto?" What about Mirabelle? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that. It's funny. I didn't notice that either. There's something that happens with this scene that kind of like this is my biggest issue um, because I feel like there was a smarter way to write this, and it was lazy, and it was a betrayal of Nakia's character. Nakia left Wakanda because she felt like they were keeping it too close to the chest and not helping people. And she wanted to do, like, uh, you know, outreach. She wanted to help people, right? So she's traveling the world to do what she can for others. When she goes to rescue Riri and Shuri, that Talakani girl gets hurt, right? And there was nothing that happened to Nakia on the way in that would make her so urgent. Like, no time, we got to go. Give me your beads. No time. Give me your magic beads where if I just pop one in her wound and then we leave, she'll live. No time. I feel like Nakia wouldn't be the one to say no time when it came down to saving somebody's life, especially if nobody's like literally not shooting at them. You know what I mean? Mm. It just didn't make any sense to me that they were in such a hurry they couldn't save that girl's life. I've thought about that and I kind of had the same initial feeling like while it was happening. Mm -hmm. But I also think from a character perspective, like Nakia is a war dog, right? Which I think we're supposed to understand is like that's basically like Wakandan, Black Ops, these are the people they embed around the world to go do these secret missions. I think, like, in that moment, like, her war dog training kicked in, which is, like, there's probably never a moment in her training where it's just, like, oh, by the way, like, tend to the wounds of your enemy as you're extracting someone during a mission. Like, I think... Yeah, I like, think the she, princess is in yeah, danger. Yeah, I think she kind yeah. of leaned okay. into being, like, an object of the state rather than the the loving human being that, like, we know she is that T'Challa was, like, madly in love with. Like, I think that, like... And I think that's kind of the tension this movie is getting at, right? Like, the tension between being, like, the tool of the state and the tool of the people. And I think she... And I think in that... I think that was, like, a real moment of, like, a, like a failing for her, right? But I don't, I don't even think she saw it yeah. that way, right? I think she was like, yo, I'm just doing what my queen fucking told me to do. Right. Okay. That, you know what? That's fair. That's fair. I don't like it, but that's fair. <laughs> 
And that triggers what you mostly see in the trailers and stuff, which is just a little skirmish between Wakanda and Talakan, uh, because Namor comes and decides to show them what he's capable of. And during the attack, a lot of things happen. Most important to me is what I thought was impossible, and this goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, about the seriousness of this movie and the tone of this movie. I actually, while Queen Ramonda was underwater because Namor threw a water bomb <laughs> yeah, at the palace. Just flooded the throne room. Yeah. yeah. And Riri was in there and Queen Ramona decides to save Riri's life and essentially sacrifices herself. But in the moment, I was like, Ryan Coogler would not do this to me particularly. <laughs> not after what the whole movie started off with. Like, he, there's no way that he's going to kill Queen Ramona right now. And that was, I think, where <laughs> shit got very real for me because I was like, oh, like, they're all going to have to go through it again. And what I didn't connect at first was in the first funeral scene, you don't see all of the funeral shots that you see in the trailers. Mm. And so I was already caught up in the movie, but I was but af- as it was happening, I was like, oh, this is where that was actually from. And I don't know. I felt like that was a gut punch in so many ways and really unlocks the second part of this movie, uh, which I think is the most interesting part, but it kind of unlocks Shuri's anger in a really visceral right. way. Right. No, it definitely yeah. does because she obviously, you know, she's she's struggling throughout the film with like this sort of her inability to like save her brother, right? Her brother was sick. She was not able to heal him, right? And now this attack has happened. She takes all the blame for it on herself, right? Like, this only happened because they were coming to save me. This only happened because I've not been able to recreate the hardship herb and become the new Black Panther. This only happened because I wasn't strong enough to maybe just can't re-re over it. Like, all these things are running through her head. And I think that leads to, like, one of, like, the coolest and most surprising sequences of the movie when she... Yes. You know, when she does, should I just go ahead? Should I just get to it? Well, let's talk about how she recreates the heart-shaped herb because that's that's a pretty interesting yes, thing yes, yes. I think. As we remember on their little uh, murder date, uh, Namor gives Shuri a bracelet that was his mother's and the fibers from the bracelet were actually woven from those plants, the vibranium plants that they took. So since they don't have any of their own and she's been trying to synthesize it, she decides to use the fibers from the bracelet to get a like a, a DNA signature from the plant that helps her successfully synthesize an herb and then does the ceremony to take the herb so she can become the next Black Panther. And of course, like every Black Panther before her, she goes to the ancestral plane. Now, the thing that I really liked about this scene before we really drop it on them is what happens in the ancestral plane with T'Challa and with Killmonger. With T'Challa... He sees his father and his ancestors. He sees what he's to inherit, his birthright, the thing that he's been training for his whole life, right? And when Killmonger goes to the ancestral plane, he could see it, but he's in his apartment where his father died. And outside the window, you can see the ancestral plane, but he's trapped in that tiny apartment where his trauma began, right? 
And so immediately when Shuri shows up in the ancestral plane, but again, she's not out in it. She is in the throne room where her most recent trauma happened, where her mother died. And then she approaches the throne to see who she's going to see. You know, uh, T'Challa saw his father. Killmonger saw his father. And uh, who does Shuri see? She sees Killmonger. And I mean, the whole theater was like, oh, <laughs> me included. I was blown away by that. And she she's completely taken aback. She's like angry. She, you know, this is her cousin who she blames for like the death of her brother and the downfall of her kingdom and this and that and the other. And she's like really mad. And he's like, why are you surprised to see me? This, this, is, this is what you wanted. And she's denying it. She's denying her rage. She's pushing it down like she was when she was focusing on technology. You know what I mean? But as her rage builds throughout the scene, just like she said she wanted to burn the whole world, the throne room literally catches on fire. So Killmonger basically brings up that Shuri's brother, T'Challa, he was devoted. He was too noble. He was devoted to tradition, and that was his downfall. And that Killmonger, you know, he he went for vengeance. He went to attack the colonizers. Yeah. And so the line he hits Shuri with is, are you going to be noble or are you going to handle your business? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, And what was interesting is she, Nakia asked her several times throughout the movie, I think, who she saw. And I don't think she told a soul who she no. saw on the ancestral plane. She, she held not. that inside. But you could tell, like, even with her suit, it had, like, lines of gold, like Killmonger's Black Panther suit did. And I noticed that. It had her war paint on the mask, but it had accents like Killmonger's. So she incorporated, like, her own, you know, warrior... Uh, attire that she had from the first film, but also Killmonger's rage and his vengeance was with her. She took that with her into the next battle, which I thought was really poignant. Yeah. Definitely agree with everything you just said about, I thought the sort of the fusion between T'Challa's outfit kind of adornments and Killmonger's was really cool. When you mentioned that the throne room was kind of the site of her most recent trauma, I was going to like pick at that a little bit. Sure. I honestly feel like in Shuri's mind, like, the throne is the source of all of her trauma, right? Like she could directly connect that to like that chair, that room is why her whole family is dead. Mm. It's why her father is dead because he is the king of Wakanda. That's why he was at the Sokovia Accord thing and got blown up by Zemo. T'Challa is dead because her cousin wanted to challenge him for the throne as vengeance for the thing that her father did. Her mother is dead because the nation is now being attacked because of the things that her brother did. Like, I think Shuri, like, sees herself in the throne room because she's just like, this is where all of my problems are coming from. Every problem I have is connected to this room, to that chair, to this institution. And I think that's also why she kind that's of sees point. Killmonger, yeah. right? Because he was the ultimate repudiation of, like, the Wakandan institution. He wanted to destroy it. He's like, no, the only thing the world needs is Killmonger. Which spoke to her more than she wanted to let on. Yes. Right. That, yeah. And like, and it kind of threw me off that like, when she leaves the ancestral plane, everybody's like, hey, yo, who did you see in the ancestral plane? Like everybody, and like, and you almost get the sense that everyone has like, yo, you didn't see the child. Like you're just being weird once you got back. Like you didn't see the child, you didn't see your pops, you didn't see your mom. Like they all know, they all know she's carrying something different with her after her, her spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And it was it was cool. I, I thought seeing Mike, seeing Mike Lee Jordan was a surprise. 
I like his his haircut was cool. I'm like, yeah, well, look at his hairstyle. Like your hair grew, you get your hair braided in the ancestral plane. That's wild. Like they got braiders out there. Like <laughs> he got that fly white mm-hmm. robe. I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is this is chills as fuck. It don't seem like it's that bad being a dead black panther. Killmonger didn't seem stressed. He was Gucci. <laughs> like I almost felt like the advice that he gives her was a little. Like, I feel like he could have been more aggressive with her. He wasn't trying to tell her like, oh, yes. Like the yeah. things that he was saying to her, like he was kind of showing her that she doesn't understand the reality of being the king. Because the most powerful thing he says to her is that he's like, yo, like if your dad was still the mm-hmm. king, he just would have given Namor that girl. Like, y'all don't know her. She's not your people. Sure, he leaves the ancestral plane like ready to like hand over being queen of Wakanda. Like she doesn't want to be the queen. And I think she understands like to be a monarch means that you need to do horrible fucking things. Mm. Yeah. And she leaves the ancestral plane ready to do one horrible thing, which is like, she's like, I'm going to kill Namor. Like, I'm going to kill that bastard. That fish man is going to die. Fish man. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll fast forward because I think the rest of the movie is kind of like sciencing. Sciencing montage. (laughs) They're just, they're building up all the resources, getting prepared. But the one linchpin of it is they're trying to figure out, and this is the Kurkan speech, but... He has the strength of a Hulk. She can't face him one-to-one, so she uses technology because they figure out that the water probably gives him power. Like, he breathes through his skin. So if they can dry him out, maybe they can weaken him enough to where she can defeat him. That's the plan. But they have to draw him out. They have to get him isolated. And they have to give Shuri a chance to get that done. I think the only other thing before the final battle of any real consequence is that the suits that they've kind of been gesturing to the whole time, uh, Okoye officially picks one up, becomes a guardian angel. So I guess is elevated to like superhero status at this point, not just the leader of the Dora Milaje. Alongside uh, alongside Annika, who was introduced. I don't think she was in the first film, but the... Not Storm. I called, I said, she's Storm! She's gonna be Storm! That's, that's, that's the reveal! That's the broader MCU connection! Very inspired casting. Um, I don't think I could support that casting, but you're very inspired. Yeah. I I, I, know I love her as an actress. Like, Chewing Gum is, like, <laughs> I think one of, like, the best TV shows for, like, the last 10 years, but she would just be a weird Storm. I just wouldn't, I just couldn't see her Storm. Well, she's not, so <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry about that. She's not Storm. Yep. No, and, and I think for, and just for, you know, just for everyone, maybe you're listening to this and you haven't seen the movie, or maybe because we're going to the plot so fast, like, you know, Shuri has been building these Wakanda and Iron Man suits, basically, in order to replace the Black Panther, because they no longer have the hardship herb. But once she gains the powers of Black Panther back, you know, she also says, hey, well, we could just wear these Iron Man suits that I made, and fight these fish people. <laughs> I think, I think this, the designs of the suits is very ugly. Like, yeah. I don't like them at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of them either. Yeah, but no. o- Okoye often says that too. She clowns no, on I, pretty I much the whole No, I do appreciate that her character uh, is like, movie. yes, these are, these are really <laughs> She's like, these ugly. are ugly. They're stupid looking. Uh, and then also, Riri also builds her own Ironheart suit during this montage sequence because You've been trying to keep this teenager safe the whole movie, so of course you get to bring her to war with you. That's just what you would do. Um, you know, you'd honor your mom's sacrifice by letting her come fight the fish people. Yeah, yeah why just, not? That makes so much sense. <laughs> so the big battle happens, and there's a lot of fighting. They isolate him. They beat him. 
And by they, I mean Shuri, because it ends up being one-on-one. And as she is about to give the killing blow, she has Queen Ramona pop in her head. And not just pop in her head, but also pop in her head, like, and her background is the ancestral plane. Like, she was not calling from Wakanda. She was <laughs> she was calling from the ancestral plane. And it was almost like, you don't have to be Killmonger. You can be Queen Ramonda, which, again, not quite sure that Queen Ramonda would not also be slitting this man's throat right now yeah. if she was in the same position. But whatever. She decides to channel her inner T'Challa and not kill this man, but basically say, like, you got to cut this shit out because I have won and I'm not going to tolerate your nonsense anymore, which rolls right into his homegirl when he gets back home being like, Mm -hmm. why did you do, like, why did you yield to Wakanda? And he basically says, brown power. That's why. Well, yeah, they're they you know, they're eventually going to come to head with one of the nations on earth trying to take their resources and they're going to need our help. And I feel like that was almost his promise for violence, like when they need our help, then we're going to come and kind of overhelp. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're <laughs> yeah. we're, we're going to help all right. Uh but this also <laughs> could be setting up, you know, his second in command, which I can't remember that guy's name, and Namorita possibly trying to like over usurp him possibly. Because I know that happens a lot in the comics, right, Jay? Yes, you have just named the plot of many, many, many Namor-related comics. Oh, man. With Atuma trying to do some shit, and he teams up with, like, a shark-looking guy sometimes. Yeah. Like, that literally happens every couple of years. So, yeah, you're on it. Unless they're going to get solo stuff for Namor, I can't see that being, like, the B-plot for a movie that he shows up in. I almost feel that the Wakandans, the Talakan the Sorcerer Supremes people, like, they exist to be the MCU standing army and not necessarily for the plot development of the characters that live there. Mm. Those are just there so they can show up in in the third act and and fight them. I believe that is true, but I hope it's not because out of all of the writing that the MCU has done to flesh out the characters for the big screen the just the 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 richness of culture and the backstory and just the 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 history of these two nations are so much more interesting to me than just about anything that the MCU has produced in the last couple of phases like i just i want more I thought, we didn't talk about it, but I thought the CG in this film was a real answer to the first film's criticisms, like that last fight. The CG was fantastic. The underwater city of Talakon didn't look like a cartoon, like Aquaman. Like, it looked like they were actually underwater, and it was dark for most of the time, and they had a light source and explained how it worked, but it still just looks so much more lived in and realistic and rich. And um, I don't know, I... I kind of wish they would explore it. I think they have a lot here that's really interesting. I agree with you on that. And this is honestly one of the first times where, you know, something I've griped a lot about over the years is when a change is introduced in a movie or a TV show and then they, like, force retcon it into the comics. So I've always really hated that. If Marvel was just like, we are going to make Namor brown and we are going to pretend that he always was brown, Mm -hmm. I would not be mad about it at all. Because... I've been seeing this white fish man comics for years, and he ain't been moving me. Like we can, <laughs> I think we can truly do better. Um, but I will say that with regards to CGI in the movie, I thought the CGI in the movie was 
generally pretty good up until that final fight. I would say like Ironheart looked kind of silly. And like there was a couple scenes, like like the scene where like Shuri kind of like jumps in as Black Panther, like she just looked like a, a, a PS4 character. She she looked a little a little t- which she looked a little too fake com- in comparison to like when she was like fighting Namor, who I think like still looked pretty real. Yeah, like when she was scaling the side of the ship, yeah, and looking more like a panther. I okay, that's fair. yeah. When she's running on the side of the boat, yeah. I'm like, that's a I'm like, that's a video game. That's a video game, which is fine. It can that's look fair. like a video game. It's not that's a problem fair. to me, but like. The practical stuff was all great. Ryan gave an interview about all these movies that he watched to prepare, and it was like a lot of 90s action and and blow em up movies and James Cameron and stuff like that. He had to have watched that movie about the Great Wall of China where they <laughs> jump over the wall and fight the like dog monster <laughs> yeah, things the, <laughs> that, yeah. are, that are coming up. Because that's all I could see with the Dora Milaje. We're hanging by ropes. That's like, cool. This is dope as hell. Yeah, I loved it. This movie gave me the same kind of vibe that Nope gave me. In the sense that, like, I like Nope because I could tell that, like, Jordan Peele really likes making movies. And I feel like Ryan Coogler really likes making movies, too. I feel like he would really like making, like, a big-budget action movie that did not have to be for Disney. Like, someone give him the money to just make a movie where, like, People are scaling buildings and fighting and shooting each other. I'm surprised that Disney hasn't broken his spirit yet. Because whenever they hire an auteur, Disney just like crushes their spirit and they leave the project. Like They're like, I can't. I'm out. (laughs) So he stuck around for two movies. Good on him. I feel like if you're the director of Black Panther and it becomes a global phenomenon. You'll hang on. In the way that it did, that you get to do whatever you want. (laughs) Like... I mean, they still <laughs> have the notes, part. and they're making him do stuff for sure. But they did. Uh, they, it does feel like they give him more leeway than they would somebody else. I agree with you there. Yeah, the, the kind of discourse that I think happens around these Marvel movies now, like particularly like black audiences and these movies. If Ryan Coogler like had walked before this movie, like I think niggas would have stayed home. They would have been like, you know what, maybe let's not go see it. Like I think that like I think there's probably like a corporate mm. incentive to keep this man happy, so that. Black audience, he doesn't take the black audience with him. Because I think people would know that loyalty, right? I think people would say, yeah. actually, you know, if he don't want to make these movies anymore, we don't want to see them from you anymore. Right. You can't lose Ryan and Chadwick. Two things that have kind of come up, but we didn't really get to discuss. One was what I think is a very interesting and wrong critique of Namor, which I we can get into that first, or we could talk about recasting T'Challa first. Either one. What's the name word for Keith? I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I've seen it yet. I have seen some specifically Central American folks saying that they were very offended by the idea that their representation was a genocidal maniac. To that, I say, this plot devoid of context and the fact that the scenes take place in different parts of the world than the first movie. It's the same plot as the first movie. The figurehead of the country dies. There is a power struggle. There is a new young leader who rises and also becomes the Black Panther, who then fights off a threat to the nation 
by way of a global domination. <laughs> it is it is the same plot as the as the first movie. I didn't care that it was. I thought I, I think it's very good, but like that's what Killmonger was. Killmonger was a caricature almost of black radicals. Or I, I shouldn't say a caricature, but like, you know, he had to do the uniquely evil thing. Like he had to kill the innocent people. He had to burn the garden. Otherwise, ha- what's wrong about what he's doing? Like, he's completely right. It sounds like a rebrand of the like, well, Killmonger is a misogynist, so that's why he was wrong. Like, It feels like we're doing this kind of weird discourse to sort of like discount all these other things about the character. Because I do think that like, you know, I think based on the interviews of like Ryan Coogler and Chadwick and about the first movie, like I think he did have a sense where like, yo, Killmonger like was making some strong points. And I think he felt that as as the creative behind these movies. And I think that Namor is kind of him like doubling down of being like, no, no, no. Like you should maybe listen to what this guy has to say. Right. And I think he, he creates a sort of narrative tension in the film. We're just like, well, y'all didn't like what Killmonger was saying. Yeah. But, like, do you like the situation now where, like, every country on Earth, like, has their guns aimed at you? I think calling a character genocidal is, like, kind of extreme. And I don't think Namor wanted to kill everyone on Earth. I mean, look, I think there's this thing that we've seen happening in fandom discourse over the years, which is, like, number one, I think that, like, calling a character genocidal has kind of been used to just sort of, like, paint all discourse around them as being negative and unnecessary because if a character supports genocide, you shouldn't talk about anything about them besides that. Right? So I think it is used as a way to shut down discourse. That's number one. Number two, I don't think Namor was like actually genocidal. You know, I've read plenty of Namor stories where he's like, I'm going to flood the whole world. I want to kill all the humans. Like, Namor used to flood New York City in the Marvel Universe like every three to five years. Like, that was just like a thing that happened in the comics. Every three to five years, Namor would flood New York the Avengers would fight him a little bit. Then they would, like, name more chillax. And he'd be like, all right, I'm going back into the ocean. It happens in the Avengers. It happens in Thunderbolts. It happens in Fantastic Four. It's just the thing that Namor does. I think the only time we've actually really seen it in the comics truly have impact is during the Avengers versus X-Men event when Namor, with, like, the power of the Phoenix Force, goes and floods Wakanda. Because Wakanda is harboring the Avengers who are, like, fugitives from the the Phoenix Five's global rule. If you are someone who's never read a comic before and that sounds appealing to you at all, don't, don't. You don't need to read that. You don't need to read Avengers vs. X-Men. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to think about it. Like, oh, man, with the Phoenix Force, that sounds cool. It's not. Just don't even think about it. Don't worry about it. If you are someone getting in the X-Men comics and you're just like, oh, I'm getting close to that story, yeah, just go ahead and read it. You're, like, you're, you're going to read it. You're, you're already into the trash. It's fine. Just just keep digging. Just keep digging. You're going to find something good eventually. I thought it was cool for this movie to adapt something that's kind of become, like, really iconic in the comics because, like, it kind of spins out and creates, like, a years-long rivalry between Namor and T'Challa, which honestly becomes, like, the first interesting thing about Namor in decades, that T'Challa, like, wants to murder him. And, you know, we see the the build-up to their ultimate conflict. <laughs> But yeah, all that is to say that discourse is dumb. I'm sorry I went on the digression. I don't think that the character needs to be perfect in order to be good representation. And 
Also, he was making points. Like, I don't know. I, I, I would much rather that than like Namor that was fighting with the CIA to like take down Wakanda or something. Like, yeah. isn't this better? Isn't this more aligned? Yeah, or <laughs> what you want. using like the tools he learned from colonizers to like go and do more colonization or like, you know, choking up women or he, they made him a lot more sympathetic to your point when you were saying that like they just basically doubled down on the messages from the first film without making him as much of a monster. And that whole controversy rings to me of people who haven't seen the movie. People love to talk shit about some shit they ain't seen or have no context for right? Mm. Oh, that's people's favorite thing. That's people's favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if if it offends you, I'm sorry. It, I mean, it's it's not even representing Central American culture so much as, you know, like Yucatec Mayan. I mean, I think it's representing uh, undersea fish people, and if any representatives of that culture want to speak up and say they feel like they don't like Namor's representation, I would love to hear from them. I truly would. I truly would. No, I mean no, I mean no, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm I don't want to sound little <laughs> yeah. about that because I do think that like I think if you're ever at the point where you're just like saying anything good about this fictional character who killed fictional people somehow reflects on you as a person, which is where I think a lot of this discourse generally ends up, then you just need to knock it off. Like these are movies, they're comics, right? Like I mean, like I think there's like <clears throat> no, I no, no, I mean I think there's like. Namor has a solo series right now, right? Like, should Namor not have a solo series because he flooded Wakanda in a story like eight years ago? Like, I don't like where where does this discourse end up going, right? Does anyone who writes his character become a a, a yeah. supporter of a genocide doer? Like, what like where do you, like where do you actually want this to go? Like, where do people want this to go? You know, like I think I don't know. I I heard he sent some really ill shit on Twitter like ten years ago, so. <laughs> No, Namor, Wait. Namor absolutely has a Twitter account. <laughs> Namor absolutely yeah, has a Twitter I dug up account. some tweets from 2008. He, he said some fucked up shit. Yeah. <laughs> For a second, I was like, not to knock. No, 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 not the actor. No, I'm, I'm joking. No, it'll work. No, no, it'll work. no, no, I mean, I think it, I do think it, it is kind of, I understand, like, because I think a lot of the discourse around the first Black Panther movie, right, was around, like, oh, wait, it kind of sucks that this movie was all these, like, black actors and this black cast and this legendary black character is kind of about like working with the CIA to like defeat black radicalism. But like, I think it's kind of like a small minority. I count myself among them, right? A small minority of cranks who would like describe the movie that way. Right. The general public at large doesn't feel that way. I think the Killmonger was a misogynist. People like probably won. Right. And I think that's also why like Hoogler kind of dulled down this movie to be like, Oh, well, you thought Killmonger was a misogynist. Well, like Namor is going to kill a whole bunch of people, and nobody's going to be able to stop them. I think it was it was very much in in discourse with fans yeah. there. I think he was just trying. I think he's just trying to shut that down. He's like, look, this is what we're doing. So the final piece is also in discourse with fandom. I think it is revealed in the mid credit scene and the only post credit scene, by the way, uh, that Nakia was not just motivated by wanting to help the world in terms of settling down out of Wakanda or hiding from people who were expecting things of her being T'Challa's lady. She actually had a kid. And it's implied that that child was born before the snap and that T'Challa missed the first few years of his life because of the snap. In fact, that was apparently what the movie was supposed to be 
about initially before he passed away. And the child's name is revealed to be uh, T'Challa. Although he also has a dope Haitian name yeah. as well. Toussaint, the uh, leader of the Haitian Revolution, which is a nice nod. So, Jay, I, I know you have a lot to say about this. Number one, I, I truly think that, like, Kugler threw that at the people just to stir up discourse. And then there's also, you know, because I, I also will always be, I'll always throw out one crackpot conspiracy of conversation. I do wonder if long term, like, if top Google search for Toussaint is going to be like, Toussaint, Black Panther, instead of Toussaint, Little Overture, the fucking Black Revolutionary. So we'll see how the trends go on that one. Oh, no. Like, who, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen on that? But what I, what I will say is I love that reveal. It was very emotional. I love the, I love the mm. twist there. Because also, like, I also read in the interview that, like, when Ramonda goes to Haiti, like, he's the first boy that she encounters at the school. So it's kind of there for you to like catch it again on a rewatch that it's the same kid. Mm. And Naki explains that like Ramonda knew this kid exists. Like it's kind of crazy that nobody told Shiri that like she had a whole nephew running around out there. But I thought it really worked. I thought it wrapped up the film really well. I thought the audience in my theater reacted like so viscerally to it. Like someone actually in the back, you know, someone was like, Oh, he looks like Chadwick. Someone else was like, shut up, no, he doesn't. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. A little bit of a little bit of back and forth in the background there. I was like, yeah, no, nah, the the kid's cute though. But then like immediately leaving the theater, I guess the part like kind of ruined it for me in my own head. Is I'm like, oh man, I hope they don't try to do like some Kang shit where Kang kidnaps this kid and he comes back older and now they got the new Black Panther with some Kang time travel shenanigans. That was like immediately where my head went. He's gonna age this up kid really is gonna fast get, like time sure. travel aged up yeah. real fast. Yeah. Are you talking about Secret Wars? Secret Wars? Yes. That's, Secret Wars? Yes, that, I, whatever is going to happen is going to involve Kang kidnapping this child. And then they're just like, all right, well, look, here's new grown-up actor as T'Challa. And they're going to they're, they're gonna have this dude be an adult as soon as possible. Or a young adult as soon as possible. He's going to grow up real fast, for sure. Obviously, there are implications here for the recast T'Challa movement. Jay, I know that you have a lot of thoughts about that. Please, uh... Well, I mean, number one, I I do think that's, like, the ultimate bone that has to get... is getting thrown to that movement that, like, hey, look, here's a kid named T'Challa. At some point, he could be the Black Panther. Calm down. Right? But, I mean, I guess for for those of you not familiar, essentially, there's been a sort of social media movement all about making sure that, like, Black Panther is recast. And it's used a lot of arguments, kind of talking about, like, how strange it is to sort of tie this character who is important to one man in a way that like hasn't really been done with other characters. Right. Then like, you know, I think as Jordan kind of mentioned earlier, like there's been this kind of like black manosphere. I don't even want to use that phrase. because I still think that's stuff like a, a disparate network of people that like, whatever, there's been this kind of like weird infiltration of people who've been like, Oh, well, you know, like they're not recasting T'Challa because they want to like, push feminizing stories on black boys and they want that's why they want black panther to be a woman and they want us to just see the wakandan society as being run by women and that's why they made mbaku a joke and then even jordan so you i don't know if either of you pay enough attention to comics to know this but they just um they just announced a new series with blade's daughter that full disclosure my my friend no. danny lore is is writing this series right Ooh. there's been a bunch of people 
online griping like, oh, they're pushing the femininity on Blade 2. They're going to ruin the movie, blah, 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 blah. Like there's this, there's this kind of like conspiracy building up that like Disney is not trying to provide positive images of black men to young black boys, which I think like, I mean, number one, in general, like I don't think we should rely on Disney to provide positive images of black men to black boys. Or I think like if that's where we're at, like we're, we're struggling, number one. Number two, mm. I like truly do kind of understand the concern about their, about wanting there to be like positive blackmail images. But I think like this idea that like feminizing narratives are being pushed to me, like it's just sort of like a lot of connotations of like homophobia, transphobia. I think like it gets you real close into like an unnamed group of people are controlling the media and they're trying to, you know what I mean? Like I feel like this is just connected to a lot of other kind of conspiracy theories that are floating around. So like, I'm like, I don't, how much credence can I really give this to you? Right. And there's also the thing of like, you know, everyone who made the movie was like really close friends with Chadwick Boseman. Like I think if Disney had said, you got to recast, I mean, number one, like, could you imagine even like trying to be the actor who like, yo, yo, call him Disney. See if they want to do the child real quick. On principle, I think a lot of people like consumers would just be like, Yo, you're grimy. You really volunteered to play T'Challa after what happened. Like, I think a lot of people would maybe not see the movie, like, um, if they recast. It would be true, a lose, true. lose. I, yeah. I mean, I a think lose, clearly lose. It's, it was a win. I think people feel much better about what they've done than what they could have done. You know what I mean? I mean, the recasting would have been a lose, lose. Yeah, no, yeah. I think what they did is definitely a win for well, sure. Well, they technically oh, recast yeah, yeah. it. I mean, I think the original hashtag was, we don't, uh, the, the guy that started it was just worried that there'd be no Black Panther for too long and like they'd have to set it to the side. And so he was just really keen on, we need we need T'Challa out there. We need that hero any way we can get him. And then, like you said, it is a, a bit, of a collation of disparate people to say Manosphere, but just, just as shorthand, a bunch of people who, for all the rhetoric they spout about celebrating and supporting Black men, seem to shit on Black women a lot. They're the ones that, that like, took it and ran with it and was like, oh, you know, feminizing this and, you know, just being against, like, any kind of representation. You know what I mean? Like, they just took it and ran with it. So... This, like you said, they threw him a bone. They named a young kid T'Challa. He is coming back. Calm down. And that's, I think, the people who were, like, behind it in good faith, I think that, you know, they're satiated. The people that were bitching are just, just always going to bitch, no matter what. So One thing that I'm curious about, because obviously to age this kid up, there has to be, like, Kang or tri- time travel shenanigans or, or or maybe not even time travel, but, like, multiversal shenanigans although i'm very skeptical after everything that's happened in phase four like what we are expecting from like a secret wars type thing i don't know i i feel like there was an opportunity for them in doctor strange to be like oh no we're gonna insert like characters from other universes into your universe and vice versa and no that it doesn't look like that's exactly what at least that movie was doing so maybe it'll be a multiversal fix maybe it'll be some kind of time travel age up or whatever but regardless of how they do that it does seem pretty clear that shuri is not going anywhere (laughs) and so i'm also interested in 
what the response has been to her just being the Black Panther, which I have to say, kind of to Jay's initial point, has been like a mid-response. I don't think that anyone's really been up in arms about it. And frankly, other than some of the talk about recast and some of the talk about Namor, I haven't really seen anyone ragging on this very much at all. It, you know, what's what's funny is it's one of those movies where it's very positive with audiences and the critics are mixed. I just think some movies aren't for most critics. <laughs> like, just to put it bluntly, a lot of critics look like me and uh, not a lot of them are as empathetic as I am and, and just can't connect with a story that isn't about someone that looks exactly like they fucking look like. So I watched a, a lot of reviews and a lot of takes and a lot of it was just a uh, just a big disconnect, I think, with like the emotion and the heart of this film and the previous film, to be honest. And fuck them, you know. Like, I I love this movie. I think it was great. I think everybody in it just brought it. I think Shuri especially brought it. Um, we didn't talk much about her like growth or arc in this film, but that scene at the end when she's in the ship with Namor and she's like giving him like the last kind of threat before she like throws down with him. I got chills. She, her face like shook with rage. You know what I mean? And, and I wasn't really sure if I was on board with her in the beginning of the film because she went from a, a side character to a main character. She had a lot of heavy lifting to do. And luckily her, her support cast really helped to lift her up, but it was on her shoulders and she fucking nailed it, in my opinion. And I think audiences will agree. I wasn't sure going in that she was going to be able to pull it off. In fact, right before they took uh, the herb and, and they made it artificially, I was like, okay, it could still be Nakia. <laughs> like, <laughs> it could still end up being Nakia. And you know what? I have to say, she did a great job. I don't feel like I'm worried about her moving forward yeah. as the character, no matter what happens in the future with T'Challa specifically. I would love to have, you know, T'Challa back. I think there are a lot of other opportunities in the MCU for Black men to shine, and I don't need it to be T'Challa, especially because of just what happened. If it was like, fuck the MCU, and it was a, a Terrence Howard situation, recast T'Challa, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, like, given how it happened, I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to just let it be. No, they, they did the best that they could with a really shitty situation. Better than I could have possibly dreamed, to be honest. Yeah. I'm very impressed yeah. with what they did with the film. So, quickly, because we've been talking for a while, what are your overall thoughts about Phase 4? Any thoughts about Phase 5 and beyond? And... It's perfectly fine if you have nothing to say. After my storm <laughs> prediction for this movie, I think I'm going to go right back to not predicting anything. I'm just going to watch what they put on the screen, and, and my eyeballs are going to tell me what happens next. I think Phase 4 has kind of been a mixed bag. Like, I've been re-watching some of these shows. You know, some hold up more than others. I mean, I think as a phase, it's felt very disjointed. We've been getting a lot of, you know, like, oh, hey, Human MacGuffin characters that I guess are going to become the Young Avengers or the Champions or the New Avengers or some jibber-jabber. It's been okay. It's been entertaining. I I've liked most of it, right? I it it's entertained me, and I thought this movie was a kind of good way to cap it off, I guess. I don't really know because <laughs> it's so depressing to me, but it's still a good movie. Um, predictions for Phase 5, Kang nonsense, stuff that's going to make people want to read Jonathan Hickman's overrated Secret War story. 
Don't read it. Don't waste your time, people. It's trash. You don't have to read his Avengers either. Just leave it alone. <laughs> read Jason Aaron's Avengers. It's actually fun. Um, that's, the, that's, that's my final thoughts. Before this movie, I wasn't really a big fan of Phase 4. I do really like Shang-Chi, but to your point earlier about this being the same as the first Black Panther, I thought Shang-Chi followed a very familiar formula, including the let's get everybody to fight each other at the end nonsense, even though it was fun and I liked it. And then it just proceeded to get goofy, you know? And and Goofy's fine, but it felt very unbalanced. It was just one unserious fan service movie after another. And I was like, is this what it is now? And I started to get, for the very first time since the MCU began, I started to feel fatigue. And I started to think like, am I getting over this, you know? And this is separate from the TV shows, which I have been very much enjoying for the most part. There were some shows that were slow or mid to me, uh, and it just comes down to personal preference, right? Like, I really enjoyed She-Hulk and Miss Marvel, I think, most of all recently. But then this movie came out, and it kind of reminded me of what I was missing. I do personally more resonate with a more dramatic, serious, human-driven MCU film. You know, I, I really like the ones that are, the stakes seem a little bit higher and a little bit more emotional. It's a little bit more of a, a drier tone and less Joss Whedon-y, like, oh, that just happened. So for me, this was like a breath of fresh air and it kind of renewed my interest to continue on with the MCU. As far as what's happening next, I think we're entering one of those phases that's just going to culminate in, uh, you know, much higher stakes. Obviously, like, like Jay said, we're going to get a lot of Kang nonsense. And I'm, you know, I love Jonathan Majors, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do and how Quantumania is going to go. I think that's going to kick a lot of stuff off. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Between this and the experimental shit that they're doing with, like, the Guardians Christmas special and the Halloween thing, the, the Werewolf by Night, like, that shit was dope. Like, I'm, I'm into when they kind of go out there and do some weird shit. I'm into that. I loved What If, you know what I mean? So I want more of that. And I want it sprinkled in with these types of films where everybody's just really giving it their all. And they're not just hanging out and drinking on set like they probably were doing in Love and Thunder. So <laughs> that's I'll, my take. I'll, throw, I'll throw out there that I thought the World by Night special was trash. But I appreciated that they tried something new. I thought that was cool. But I'm like, but this was just yeah. boring as shit to me. Man Thing looks cool as hell. Man Thing looked cool. It was polarizing. Yeah, Man Thing looked cool. But I'm like, this, yeah. this whole thing was trash. Like, why, why, why do we have this? Why wasn't Blade here? I mean, <laughs> it was polarizing for sure, but it was definitely totally consistent. I love the old, like, 50s monster movie feel of it. I thought it was cool. Like, But again, Full Metal Merc didn't care for it either. So, I mean, it, it, my friends were split down the middle with it. My thing is, I don't ever think it's cool when someone's just like, oh, hey, look at this thing that I made that's, like, inspired by other things I like. When it's just like, right, but did you pick up any of this sort of, like, technical craft or artistry, or do you just like the thing? Because... Anybody can say they like a thing and imitate it. It doesn't make it worth watching for humans or spending millions of dollars on. Like, why, like, why does this exist? I mean, that's fair, but it was it was like a short thing that they threw up on Disney Plus that didn't require much investment from me and wasn't even... It just dropped. It wasn't even really advertised. Like, it's one thing if I went out to the movie and spent 40 fucking dollars to go watch it and it was this big thing that they advertised and put a lot of marketing behind, then yeah, like you, I'd be a little bit more shitty. But I don't know. It just... It felt like, hey, Marvel, you like, here's a bag of potato chips. Eat that. All right. See you at the next one. That's that's what it felt like to me. It felt like nonsense that I was there for, you know? I think part of why it's polarizing is kind of my overall thoughts about Phase 4. 
It was much more than phase one, but it was just as disjointed. But there were no Nick Fury at the bar moments. Mm. Or at least there weren't enough of them to where we were like, oh, that's how this is going to fit in. Like the end of Shang-Chi, when Wong showed up, I was like, oh, cool. Like he's going to be connected in. They didn't do that enough for me. It didn't have to be during the movie, but at the end would have been really nice. And for She-Hulk, for instance, it was like throughout. And that felt like what I'm looking for in a lot of these MCU TV shows, or like if you're going to be focused on a character, at least demonstrate how they exist within the broader world that you're building. I didn't feel like Werewolf by Night demonstrated where it belongs. And part of that is because Blade hasn't been formally introduced yet, but at the same time, there could have been like some continuity, maybe with Eternals, given that's where we've heard Blade's voice at least. The Eternals showing up anywhere else, (laughs) Uh, kind of having the same problem that people, you know, have said about Wakanda, like, where were you during slavery? Like, well, where was the, where were the Eternals during slavery? I know that the movie technically answers that question, but like, I don't know. I just, I, that was my, that's my biggest critique of phase four. Not that everything is disjointed, because I think it was on, on purpose. We're being introduced to a new cast of characters, a new group of people to give a shit about. And we can't really put them in world-ending danger yet because then you won't care if any of them get murked. (laughs) You have to, like, care a little bit about them first uh, that they did enough. What I will say is that, like Phase 1, I think they were very sneakily adding in some artifacts. I think Shang-Chi's rings, uh, Kamala's bangle, I think potentially uh, some of the Wakandan shit in Namor's uh, home turf. Like, I do think that they seeded the movies with some things that are going to be ending up connected to Kang in some way. And I'm basing that entirely off of the trailer for Ant-Man, where the city looks a lot like the Ten Rings, like the way that there's these rings encapsulating the city. And it just immediately took me back to Shang-Chi. And then I was thinking about what other artifacts there have been throughout phase four. And I feel like there are quite a few. So anyway, no clue what's actually going to happen, but I do understand why people are kind of like, I don't think they've given us enough of a reason to be really excited about what happens next because the stories were almost too individualized. Like, post-Endgame, we cannot act like the whole world didn't go through something. I think it makes so much more sense to really, like, double down on the fact that this is a shared universe. And a few off-cam moments or, like, lines of text are not enough, in my opinion. I also think that we have a lot to look forward to. Obviously, Fantastic Four is coming. Uh, I think they're going to have no choice but to address some mutant stuff in Deadpool, which apparently is also the last time that Ryan Reynolds wants to play Deadpool, which doesn't make any fucking sense to me, but whatever. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm, I'm getting Ryan Reynolds fatigue. I'm getting Ryan Reynolds fatigue. Every day I turn on, he's on a streaming (laughs) service, and it's a new shitty movie that doesn't look real, and I don't want to watch it. Like, I'm just, I'm tired of him. I'm tired of seeing him everywhere. He had his time. I think we need to, like, put him out yeah. the pasture. 
he's got that Mint Mobile money. Right. So yeah. We moved, we've moved beyond the need for Ryan Reynolds. Like he can, <laughs> he could buy he could buy Twitter from Elon when the fucking price drops. Use his Mint Mobile money, like leverage it, buy Twitter, make it good. <laughs> That'd actually be like the the, oh the good timeline. Ryan Reynolds <laughs> buys Twitter, makes it good. That is, yeah, I can get behind that. I hope that's what happens in phase five. <laughs> well, friends, thank you very much for joining us on this extended play spoiler cast uh, for Wakanda Forever and phase four entirely, I guess. Really appreciate you joining. Mike, anything to shout out for folks? Um, well, you know, we're, we're on the same network. So if you listen to Gamer Friends and you enjoy the segments about news or talking games, we do a lot of that on Player Two as under the podcast. Occasional spoiler cast comes out. We got a bonus episode coming out real soon if it isn't out already. A holiday gift buying guide. Big Nakuma's on that. You should definitely check it out. Uh, so I'll make sure that our link tree is in the show notes for you guys to take a look. Dope. And Jay? I don't know. I mean, I'm in hibernation mode, so I haven't really been writing. I haven't really been doing anything right now. Um, I had a, you know, I had a D&D adventure that came out a couple weeks ago. Glitterhole Vault. There we go. That's the that's the treasure. Um, that's the title. Um, it's pin post on my Twitter. You want to go look at it? Um, check it out. It's a pretty good D&D adventure. Much better than my first one. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't really have anything in the pipeline right now maybe maybe in 2023 i'll have more things to pitch right now i'm, I'm just chilling relaxing you don't have anything in the pipeline that we can announce. yes nothing in the pipeline that can be announced right now not 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 before the end of the year yeah right now we're just uh i'm, yeah. I'm enjoying being like a, a jobless slug I'm, i'm enjoying it it's making me happy mm. yeah good for you i haven't started playing video games yet you. though i haven't really like leaned in but well appreciate both of you Thank you very much. And we will catch you sometime in the future, like in a week with the next podcast. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> <laughs>